build upon some of the things that Ken shared this morning and share with you my dad's benefit from the DAV at his time in Lexington, Kentucky, and how they ministered to him. But today I want to talk to you about a different kind of freedom. And I want you to turn with me, if you would, to John's Gospel, the 8th chapter. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. These are the words of our Lord, John 8, 31. To the Jews that had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be free? And Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, now a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you're doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. They were religious. They were followers of God. They claimed to be faithful. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I've come here from God. I've not come of my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? It's because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You know, one of the things that I catch from that passage that's indicting of our world today, it's really one of the first truths that I catch. And even though I'm going to focus on verse 31 and 32, where Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That last verse tells me that, that some cannot accept the truth because they're simply not of God. You have to be willing to accept the truth of Christ. And to do that, it also means you have to be willing to sacrifice for the freedom it brings. And freedom in this world, it's always worth the sacrifice, isn't it? Sir Winston Churchill said during World War II, I avail myself with relief of the opportunity of speaking to the people of the United States because I do not know how long such liberties will be allowed. The stations of uncensored expression are closing down. And he said this, the lights are going out. But there is still time for the earnestness while time remains. Freedom is our greatest gift and we must be willing to die to preserve it. JFK said many years ago, our freedoms are threatened 
and anyone today with just a casual look at the world in which we live. I mean, we can recognize that. We can see that our freedoms that we've known in the past, they're indeed being threatened in this hour from without and from within. Justice Douglas once said, freedom is diminishing in this world. And then he added these words, and I include in the United States. People are losing their freedoms today. And today mankind is seeking various kinds of freedom, political freedom. If you ever venture off the the front page of CNN and you go to the African continent news, you will see missionaries and soldiers alike. And everywhere they go, what do you see? Crowds following them chanting, freedom, freedom, freedom. And there are people in Africa and most in the world actually that want to be free from political bondage. Even the smallest of countries want to declare their independence. Every little people group in the world, they want to be free, not just from corporate, but from governmental bondage, not recognizing that as they jump from one political group to another without being prepared for freedom, it's like going from the frying pan into the fire, sometimes ending up in worse bondage than they began with. We saw it years ago when the Democratic Republic of the Congo tried to declare its independence, but they were never prepared by the Belgians for self-government. Only 17 people at that time in the Congo had ever been to college, and it's still falling apart. Intellectual freedom. Uh, If you've ever been to Chicago to the Science and Industry Museum, uh, it's a great trip. We've taken it with our kids a couple of different times. But if you ever go there or to the Chicago Science and Technology Expo, you will see and be amazed at some of the modern prospects of science. But I can't help but think of what Einstein said not long before he died. Einstein said, I feel like a man that's chained. I get a glimpse at truth, and then it flies away. If only, if I had wings, I could be free from the shackles of my intellectual smallness and then perhaps understand the world in which I live. We want moral freedom. We want freedom of sexuality and expression on a scale that perhaps has never been experienced before in the Western world. And with all that we've had, we're miserable with it. It has not made us happy Back in the 70s, when I was just a little toddler, the president of Vassar College asked the question, where will this pursuit of sexual freedom lead us? Well, in the last five years, in our brotherhood, our denomination that is not a denomination, the Christian colleges and companies, they have been pressured to come out with statements of acceptance. Acceptance of most every behavior, belief, activity, and practice. You see, we thought if we just have freedom in this area, we're going to be happy. But it turned out to be a terrible tyrant. One of the stories, uh, actually one of the authors that my wife collected for a long time, she was an early childhood education major, were the works of Dr. Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, yeah. And there's a story that he told. In fact, I've read it was his favorite one of all of a little boy that lived in a polluted area that chooses to visit a strange, isolated man called the Onceler. And he pays the Onceler 15 cents 
a nail and the shell of a great-great-great-grandfather's snail to hear the legend of the Lorax. Now, I did not say Warax. I said Lorax. And the once Lord tells this boy of his arrival in this beautiful valley that contained these beautiful truffle trees and a range of animals. And the once Lord, having long searched for such a tree as the truffle, chops one down. And he uses its silk to create an impossibly versatile garment. And the Lorax, who speaks for the trees, voices his disapproval of both the sacrifice of the tree and the creation of this garment itself that is called a thneed. However, he's happy because he sells his first sneed for $3.98. And this once is encouraged and he starts a business. He employs his family. He begins opening factories and employing more people and selling thneeds. And pretty soon, all the trees are gone. And all this left is a treeless, barren, polluted landscape. The world cried out for freedom of sexual expression. And now we are left with barren souls, destroyed landscapes of purity. Because we wanted freedom. Social freedom. We're always searching in this country, aren't we? For the formula to provide freedom from prejudice. This has been an extremely frustrating and expensive week uh, for the Warax, now I'm saying Warax family, uh, with our van. We have relied upon two in this church, or, or two people we know, uh, to, to jumpstart our car. One that we did not know, who was a, an official at the track meet yesterday. We have put an alternator and a battery in our car, and it's still not working well. It is frustrating to break down. I remember once when uh, I was a young man, my family were traveling to see my sister. We went to St. Louis, Missouri. How many have been to St. Louis? Yeah, or, or in Atlanta, it's much the same as you go around Atlanta. You end up with those five lanes, and it's just chaotic. And we started having car trouble. And we pulled over to the side, but you know what? It was okay. Because just up the ramp, all along the highway where we were broken down, were these multi-level, beautiful, uh, gold... Um, uh, Gold Coast homes and, and high-rises. We knew we could find help. And yet when we went one block beyond that, there were fences, and it seemed like all of the poor African-American community had been placed on the other side of the fence. Dilapidated homes, ramshackle buildings. And for one of those people to cross that fence, literally, to buy a home would be a threat to many, many of those people. We write articles about it. We hear people speak about it. We want that kind of freedom. But it's hard coming. In fact, Jesus himself said 2,000 years ago, the poor, you're always going to have with you. But we look for freedom from poverty, freedom of education, and we say, if we have all those freedoms, then we'll be happy. Now, of all those freedoms that, that I've mentioned so far, the one place that has more of those freedoms than anywhere else in the world is the United States. And yet we lead the world in drug use. We lead the world in more alcohol abuse per capita than anywhere in the world. We have more escapism. We run down more blind alleys seeking peace and joy than any other people in the world. And so I believe we have more boredom per capita than anywhere in the world. And in all these freedoms, something is lacking. And then we have the freedom of religion. 
There is a, there's a powerful group within this country that wants to throw out any religious emphasis or symbol. They say, take that phrase, in God we trust, off of our coins. Pull the chaplains out of the armed forces. Remove the manger scene from every public square. Do away with any semblance of Christianity and Jesus Christ in modern life. And then we will be free from religious bondage. But friends, our forefathers wanted us to have freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. The scriptures say in the book of Psalms, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We've taken prayer out of our schools. We've taken the Ten Commandments out of our courtrooms, the cross off city and state crests. And friends, let me just say, if we ever put God completely aside as a nation, we're done. If we ever put God completely aside, we're finished. And may God have mercy upon this land. And there is a group today, and we recognize, right? We're a pluralistic society. Protestants, Catholics, Judaism, Islam, plus the added religion that's the fastest growing today, secularism. It's the number one religion in America. And there are people working day and night to destroy the church. It's by design from the evil one. And they say if, if we can just do away with, with, with all of this animosity because Christians exist, if we just coexist and we blend every faith group together, we will be a happy people. And you hear people on every side talk about freedom. And yet Jesus said, you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That's why I believe that the only truly free people in the world are those that have made Christ the Lord and Master and Savior of their lives. Only those who follow him are truly free. Jesus said, after all, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And men are trying to speak truth in so many different places, but Jesus said, I'm the apex of truth. I'm the highest point of truth. The scriptures say by him all things were made that exist, all things that are held together. There is something that keeps this planet from just flying apart as it spins around the sun on its axis. There is something that one day we're gonna understand more fully in glory, that if our Lord, if our God and Savior took his hand off our lives for one second, then we would be done. He cares for us. He cares for his creation. And so I just have to say, because of that, friends, you have to choose. He is either the truth that he claimed to be, or he was a blasphemous deceiver who knew that he was not, and he lied. And I venture to say, if I ask if there was anyone here today who was willing to stand up and say that Jesus was a liar, you couldn't do it. The people of his day couldn't. In the passage I read this morning, what did he do? He asked them, which one of you can accuse me of sinning? Not one person could. It's a decision that each of us must make as we consider Christ. You cannot escape it. It will follow you all the days of your life. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said this. I want to dispel once and for all the foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, that he's a great moral teacher, but I don't claim 
him to be, or accept his claim to be God. He said, that's one thing we must not say. Because a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make the choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool, you could spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He did not leave that open to us. He did not intend to. And friends, if Jesus truly is the greatest truth of the universe and he tells me to follow him, then I would be a fool not to follow. It was on June the 11th, 1978, I had to face that for the first time when I chose to follow him. It was a decision that I would have to, to reaffirm as I began to study the word of God and I began to have questions and I had to reaffirm that I believed he truly was the way, the truth, and the life. When my immune system started to shut down, when blindness started to come upon me, I had to go back and revisit that and say, do I really believe what I say I believe, that he really is the way, the truth, and the life? And the answer is still unequivocally yes. Like the Nicene Creed once said, he is God of very God. Never a doubt. And friends, it will change your life. When you actually give all of yourself to him, he will open up your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength to lean into him, to know him, to serve him with all that he created you to be. The Jews that he spoke to in, in John chapter 8, they didn't have it. And many of us in this world, or not many of us, but many in this world, they don't have it because they've been spiritually blinded by Satan. But when you open your life to Christ, friends, the blackout curtains come down. And the light of God's word, the light of his spirit, the light of his love can flood your soul. Jesus Christ told the truth. And he told the truth about us, that we all have a problem deep within, and that is the problem of sin. He said in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, it says there, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. From what is within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these things come out of the heart of a man or a woman and defile them. In other words, what Jesus is saying there is, guys, your wife is not the problem. What he's saying there is, you thought your, your problem was your children? No. You thought your problem was your business? No. You thought your problem was your income or something else? No. The problem is something much closer to you. It's within. And it's the toxic disease that the Bible calls sin. You're a sinner said Jesus, and we have to come to the point where we humble ourselves and we surrender ourselves to him because the obstacle 
that stands in our pathway to the kingdom of heaven is pride and sin. Some of you read the book of Job in the Old Testament. And if you get to the end of the book of Job, and you'll never understand it until you see this, that God was wanting Job to surrender everything. And Job said, I will. I'll give you everything, God. But all the way through the book of Job, he's holding on to one thing. You remember what it was? He's holding on to his integrity. He's trusting in his own goodness, his own integrity, until the last chapter of Job. And in Job 42, verses 5 and 6, he says, God, if you want it, I'll even give that up. And he falls down before God, and the scriptures say, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And then Job saw the light. Everybody here in this room today, you're a pretty important person in your family. You're a pretty key person at your work and in this place. But when we come to worship, we're all on even ground at the foot of the cross. Our souls are open before God and he sees what's truly poisoning us. He sees the sin that's poisoning the relationships in our homes with other people. He sees what's poisoning our relationship with him and his spirit is pleading today. You've got to surrender this. But our will is so stubborn even when we want to surrender we have to until we can say, God, my righteousness, it's like dirty rags before a holy God. We've not surrendered. And I want you to look at something else here. This is the third point on your outline, that Jesus taught and he lived the truth. Jesus told us the truth about the coming judgment. He warned people to flee from the coming wrath of God. He said this in Matthew 12, verse 36. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. He would say in Matthew 12, 41, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus told the truth about repentance. He said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And we don't hear a lot of sermons on this part of Jesus' ministry because judgment's not something we like to think about. But friends, there is a day coming on that great timeline of history, an X, a point at which we will have to give an account for every idle word, every thought, every attitude, and every deed. See, all those things that you thought you swept under the rug years ago, they're gonna be brought into light. That person you were with that your wife or your husband never knew about, the cheating that you did at school, the, the lying, the business shortcut that you took that was morally wrong and nobody knew about it will be brought to light in front of the whole universe. And the scripture says at that time we'll be bare and exposed before God. There is a day of reckoning, a day of accountability coming. Jesus would not have lied about that. And he also told the truth about repentance and conversion that changes all of that. He said, unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. He is the truth. Would he lie? Think of this. Have you 
repented? Are you sure that there has been a time in your life where you responded in such a way to God that you know yesterday you live by moral sins and failures, but today you've given up those things. You've turned your back on them and you're living for a different purpose. Friends, is there something in your life right now that is just keeping you from walking in faith with God? You might say, I want God's kingdom. I want a relationship with Christ. I want forgiveness. I want a new life. But secretly you're holding on to some resentment, some disappointment maybe with God. Deep down inside you're holding on to, to some sense of, of doubt or, or personal judgment. And it's keeping you from that relationship. And yet Jesus, he loved us enough to tell us the truth about us. He said to us, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. I read this past week about a psychologist who said, until the church gets back into the, the business of converting people, we psychologists are going to have to do it. Yale University recently invited a group of ministers to a box luncheon. 21 psychologists and a group of ministers. I want you to hear what they said to them. They said, do you want to know why you're here? It's because we believe that man is so psychologically constituted, he needs conversion. And we believe that we're helping people convert in our offices. So it would help us to know how the church used to do it. How the church used to do it. You see, God demands a change. He demands a surrender. He demands a conversion. Jesus said, you must be born again. It's not optional. It's not something that, that we ought to do someday. He said, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you say, Bill, are you talking about some kind of emotional experience that I've got to go out and seek for that to happen? No. Now, you might have emotions that accompany it. When I was baptized into Christ in 1978, I cried like a baby, but I've known strong Christians that have never, ever shed a tear. It was a simple commitment of everything they knew to that moment. But let me tell you, you can tell the difference. I remember waking up the next morning and everything had changed. You say, well, how do you know? What was the difference? Everything. If you were to ask me then, well, well explain it to me. What really happened? I couldn't do it. You can't ask a baby the day after it was born, what just happened to you? You know, they can't respond. They don't understand that. But in reality, everything changed, and a birth can happen right here today. You know, the more I've ministered and the longer I live in this world, the more I realize how wonderful the Spirit of God is. You see, I think it's the Spirit of God that converts us. It's the Holy Spirit that changes us. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit that brings growth. And what a wonderful thing it is to be able to relax in him, in the one who said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You could reject him, and you could think you're fine. You could say, you know, I really, I'm going to go home. I'm going to have this just like any other Sunday. I'm going to live my life. I don't need Jesus. I don't need the church for sure. I don't need anybody telling me what to do with my life. And you could think you're free. But you're going to be in a deeper bondage than you've ever been before because you've heard the truth. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads only to death. And Jesus said, you've got to choose. Jesus demanded a choice between two roads, between two masters. And if you feel the Holy Spirit working within your heart, if he's creating an uneasy feeling that you've got some business to do with God, you've got to choose. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, nobody can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And in this instance, he said, you can't serve both God and money. Anytime you try to serve two masters, one foot in this world, one foot in faith, it's going to create a conflict. And the freedom you thought you had, it's going to be even a worse bondage. Well, the last thing I want you to catch this morning is this. The freedom that Jesus provides is truly release from slavery. It's release from bondage. You see, first he frees you from the penalty of sin. If we admit the truth, we all fall short. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's 122 Greek words in the New Testament to describe sin. We could spend the next year talking about those things, but I don't need to. Because we all know that we have sinned against God. I don't have to belabor that point. We've broken God's laws. We, we fail to live up to his requirements. We are sinners. But that sin has done something awful. It's alienated us from God. In other, in other words, it's come between us. And because of that, Ezekiel 18.4 says, the one who sins is the one who will die. Because our God is a holy God. He is a pure one, the righteous one. And our sins offend God and create a barrier between us. And we can try to cover it up. I mean, Adam and Eve, they did that right away. But Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins doesn't prosper. And God says you can't get away from it. But the glorious news this morning is, friends, that is what the cross was all about. Christ went to the cross for sinners like me and sinners like you. People that had failed him, people that had broken his laws. At the cross, God took all of the evil, all of the iniquity, all the sin that we committed and laid them on Christ. And the one who knew no sin, that no one could stand up in the crowd and say, I saw you do this. I heard you say this. It was a lie. No one could point the finger at Christ. The one who knew no sin, he became our sin for us. And he took the penalty and he took the judgment of our sin. You see, he, he took the hell of our sin. And the moral accountability that one day at that X on history's timeline where we would have to face and, and give account for every careless word we've spoken, Jesus took care of that. He took care of that day and we won't have to be there to account for every word that we've spoken because Jesus paid the price. You know, I have it on the authority of Scripture that one day the judgment for us will be Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not saying I haven't sinned, because I have. But friends, Jesus took my sins and he threw them in the deepest sea. 
That's the glorious mercy. That's the great grace, the height of God's wonder, the broadness of his love, that God is willing to look at each of us and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. The penalty's been lifted and I am free. Do you know to be truly free of that penalty? That God will not pronounce sentence on you because in Christ you have liberty. The last thing I want you to know is that he freed us from the power of sin. In that passage, Jesus said, if you sin, you're a servant of sin or a slave to sin. And for some of you, you know what that means. Because you're struggling in, in that slavery to, to jealousy. Some of you are slaves to pride. Some of you to anger. It's just out of control. Some of you are slaves to selfishness or, or to an addiction. And sin has become your slave master. And it stands over you with a whip. And even though you say, I don't want to commit this sin. I, I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to lie. But you do. And your heart bears the lashes of the marks of your battle. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And you get older and older. And your heart gets more and more callous. And without an intervention from heaven, death. And yet to know that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That sin no longer sits on the throne of my heart. It no longer has mastery over me. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law. You're under grace. Because I can daily choose to surrender to him. He directs my life. And Satan, he has no power over my life that he once had. Sin no longer has command. And I may slip and fall. But God is there to put his arms around us. He picks us up. He helps us. He loves us. I'll close with an old story I heard back when I was a kid. Story of a little boy that was visiting his grandparents. And his grandpa gave him his very first slingshot. And he would go out in the woods and practice. And this little boy was an awful shot. I mean, he, he would take that thing. He could never hit his target. And one day he was coming back, and, and there in the backyard was grandma's favorite pet duck. And on impulse, he just took aim at it, and he let it fly. Of all the times he'd missed, this time he hit it. The stone hit the duck in the head. The duck fell over dead, and the little boy panicked. He knew that was her favorite pet duck, and, and so he took it to the wood pile. He moved some wood around. He hid the duck there and hoped that nobody would find out. Later that day at lunch, Grandma said after lunch uh, to his sister, Sally, how about we wash the dishes? But Sally said, uh, well, Grandma, I think Johnny wanted to help you with the dishes today. Didn't you, Johnny? And she leaned over and she said, saw what you did. Remember the duck. And so Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa decided he was going to take the kids fishing. And Grandma said, well, I need Sally to stay and help me in the house here. She can fix dinner with me lately. And Sally said, oh, no, that's been taken care of, Grandma. Johnny wants to stay and help you around the house. Johnny wants to help fix dinner. I saw what you did. Remember the duck, Johnny. And so for days and days, Little Johnny did all of her chores, did everything that, that little Sally told him to do until one day he couldn't stand it anymore. And he went to his grandmother and he said, Grandma, I'm so sorry. 
I didn't mean to. I, it just happened. I, I killed your favorite duck. And Grandma took him into an embrace and hugged him, and she said, I know. I was standing at the upstairs window, and I saw the whole thing happen. But because I love you, I forgive you. I just wanted to know how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. Friends, our Father in heaven, he's seen it all. He knows everything you've done. And he's just waiting for you to confess it, to acknowledge it and say, Lord, I did it. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And here I am. I need your forgiveness. I, I want a fresh start. I need a new day in my life. I need to be born again into a new life. And I want to be yours in every way from this day forward. Friends, if God's spirit is speaking to your heart this morning, now's the time to respond. And I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. And I want to pray. And after we pray, David's going to lead us in our hymn of decision. And for some of you, it's, it's to accept Christ, to be baptized into him for the first time. Maybe some of you are looking for a church home, and it's time to place your membership here. Maybe some of you, you're struggling with a deep need in your heart, and you just need someone to pray with you. We've got elders in this church. We've got two deacons that are happy to step aside and say, let's go to this room, and we'll pray together. But you've got to be able to step forward and say, I need others, and I need God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving us enough that you don't give us some cheap facsimile or imitation or partial truth. God, when you speak to us through your son, through your word and through your spirit, it's always accurate. It's always reliable and it's always true. We just have to accept it and choose to follow you. And Lord, of all the people in this world that we have offended, because we all sin, we all fall short of each other's standards, and we certainly fall short of yours. But Father, it's by your grace, it's your forgiveness that we seek. Father, make this a place of honesty, of authenticity where we don't pretend to be better than we are or something that we're not. We're sinners saved by grace. And we come to you now in Jesus' name.